Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Step Series. Uh, let's have our joke done by Tanner. Hey everybody, I'm Tanner. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. <clears throat> so a man walks into a bar and orders a whiskey. When the barman serves it up, he takes it outside to the bench in front of the bar to drink it. As, he's endure- as he is enjoying his drink, a nun walks by and glares at him sourly. How can you pollute your soul with the devil's drink like that, she asks. <laughs> the man shrugs and he says, it's not the devil's, it's just whiskey. But it's sinful and wicked. How do you know it's so bad then? Have you ever tasted whiskey? Of course not. My sisters and mother superior told me how evil drink is. The man looks and he says, but how do they know? Have they ever had a drink? They go back and forth like this for a while. Before at last, the nun relents. Well, I suppose that if I were to try a sip of whiskey, I would better understand how it corrupts the soul. But it wouldn't, be, wouldn't do for any of my sisters to come here and see me drinking. Could you order me one and put it in a teacup, please? <laughs> the man agrees. This is fair. Walks up to the barman. He says, two whiskeys, please. But uh, put one of them in a teacup. The barman slams his hand down and he says, Is the dang nun here again? <laughs> and I'm an alcoholic and my name is Ronnie. All right, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that would make noise and distract others. Let's take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Great. Let's start the meditation. Thank you. 
can lead in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, just follow along with me. Let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, safe, and dying can find your love in me. All right, so from there's a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked my friend Joey to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. How you doing? Uh, Joey Alcoholic? The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have never, excuse me, nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought out, brought out about by himself alone. <clears throat> what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our m- members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they, are presently identif- which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerable, or excuse me, of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There's a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so get your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn it off. And at this point, 
it's my honor to introduce, and he hardly needs an introduction, um, and that's partly because I couldn't think of anything clever to say on the spot, so I'm just going to give you guys, out of the seventh session out of 12, Doc. Doc, alcoholic. And I thank God they wrote it down. That way we can look at it and not get mixed up. What do we have tonight? Oh, a yellow dinosaur and cookies. Edibles. Awesome. This is great. What a church. What a church. <laughs> I am so grateful to be sober today. Every time I start working with annoying, resistant alcoholics, you know, it just makes me so grateful that whoever was helping me when I was new and annoying and resistant didn't give up, you know, because I should have probably just been dumped a dozen times with my crappy attitude, you know, because... um, I was smarter than anybody in here in my first 30 days, you know? And God save us that they had microphones 30 years ago. They shouldn't, we shouldn't even give microphones out today, I don't think, you know? But they would give me a microphone so that I could express how much more I knew than anyone else in the room, man. And it was, it was just, oh, God, it had to have been horrible for those poor people. And I just cringe now to think what it was like to be around me, you know, that I knew everything. Yet I had never cracked this book open. God forbid I ever opened the book because I didn't need to. You guys were doing it at the meetings. I just repeated what I heard like everybody else does, right? It was great. And uh, then I, uh, you know, I had a little spiritual awakening. I had a spiritual awakening before I ever came to an AA meeting. But then a year into it, I had a second one, which was um, just like a sock in the gut, a gut punch that I could actually die from this. That I wasn't just, you know, it wasn't something to just be playing around with. It wasn't just stopping drinking beer, you know. It wasn't just stopping drinking. It wasn't just stopping getting high in, in all the forms of alcoholism that it took, you know. It was trying to grab a hold of, of a lifeline that could keep me alive. I didn't realize I would die until I was in the fellowship for about a year. And then I, I remember after coffee one night, it came out of a, of a coffee shop having sat around, you know, probably for an hour and a half after a meeting with a bunch of people and, Walked out, and man, I was alone, and it just hit me so hard. I was, I was scared to death all of a sudden. And I hadn't done a fourth step in that first year, right? I had one, th- one two, and three the first day. But a fourth step, no, no, no. I'll, my sponsor said he'll tell me when it's time to do that. That's not actually what he said. He said, why don't you review one, two, and three? And I said, yeah, you tell me and I'll be ready to do whatever you say. I'm good to go because I'm smarter than anybody here, you know. I know all this stuff. Long, I don't even have to read it. Oh, man, I was so wrong. So wrong. And today, I was sharing at a big book study Monday. The more stuff I discover in these simple pages, 
then it gives me a question, and then I have to find out the answer to that question in these pages and in the other book, right, that these pages are based on. And then I find it, and that knocks a hundred other questions down. And I am just constantly finding out how this all applies to my humanity, right? Because that's why I'm here, is to be the best human being I can be. I quit I quit drinking 30 years ago. I don't, you know, I'm not really concerned with a fear of drinking or getting high, even though I know it's a, it's a daily reprieve, you know. But if you were to place a bet on me being sober tomorrow, it'd be a pretty good bet to place, you know. There's always an odd chance I might just absolutely go crazy, but that's not why I'm here this many years later, you know. I'm here... Because this is, this is a key to a faith that works, that I've never known before, right? It, it, it's, it's, and that's what seven is, right? We talked last week about, about the definition of defects of character in the 12 and 12, where it says in that, that you know, the, 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 the perfection God has for us, that he set up with our natural desires, the way we're supposed to be, is perfect. God-given and therefore perfect. And then our own will and our own way that we want to deal with our lives is the amount of, that we depart from his will. And that measure is our defects of character. Or if you will, it says, if you wish, sin, which is a... a an ancient Greek term for uh, archery, off, off the mark. And I explained also that, um, you know, uh, uh, 30 years after he wrote it, he was asked, does defects of character and shortcomings mean the same thing? And Bill said, first time, he said, I don't really remember why I picked two words. And then I think it was Pat R. that said that, you know, there was a particular woman that suggested it. And it, and it doesn't matter. Because the fact is, is that a shortcoming means you can't get there, right? It has a slightly different meaning. And so after all these years, I've always, it, it means to, to right, if, if, if missing the mark, right, a defect of character, your sin is off that center point in any direction off the, off the bullseye, then not having enough power to get to the bullseye would be a shortcoming, right? And therefore, an, another word that, that is, uh, translated into that is a trans, meaning to move and aggression, to step over the line to cheat a little bit, right? To try to, to try to get there because then that would be normal because I'm powerless. So I'm going to try to get there with a little cheat. Now, it occurred to me after all these years tonight, while I was rereading the chapter again in the 12 and 12, that I'm going to from now on say that shortcomings are a type of defective character, okay? It's a defective characteristic that causes you to transgress and not get there. That way, everybody's happy. Nobody has to wonder about, you know, well, Bill didn't say that. We don't care. What we care is how can I take those words, find out exactly what they mean, apply them to my life, and be a better human being. And so now I, it just occurred to me that tonight that a shortcoming is a type of defect of character. It's just measured in a different direction. That's all, right? It's a transgression, sins and transgressions, right? Moving this way, this way, 
or this way, the three dimensions, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over what humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, the, 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 the shortest or briefest step in the 12, and probably the most misunderstood, and often skipped, and not really loved. And um, I don't think a lot of us even take the time to try to visualize what that step means in, in its entireties, right? We, we, we like to sew it to six and make it all one thing. And, I, and I've always said, if it were meant to be one thing, it would be one thing. It's, it's specifically meant to be a separate thing. So, so I'm going to talk tonight just briefly about what, what humility really is, right? As far as our books go. What our life is like without it. And what our life is like when we have it, right? Because that's really all we care about, right? I mean, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to know about humility if I refuse to have any of it, right? But imagine, imagine what this is, right? These are, these are awesome words. Right here, this is asked him. So if you imagine yourself that, that you could possibly go before your higher power. Go before God as, as we understand him, right? And I, I believe those words don't mean as you personally interpret it. I mean, I think it means more specifically, you know, it doesn't matter. We all know what we're talking about when we say God. Because it's not a name, it's a title, right? It's a position. It's not, you know, his name isn't God. I don't know any gods. I know a whole pantheon of gods. Because I study comparative religions. I know a whole lot of gods. None of them are named God. Right? So, so when we go, we're talking about God. It's all those different gods. And we're talking about the God as described in the big book, which is very nonspecific. And that's perfect. That's for, our, for our needs here, it's perfect. So imagine that you could go to your higher power personally. And stand before, whether it's a male or a female or genderless or whatever, as we understand God, we're going to call him him because that's what's in the step, all right? And we hum, first of all, that we're allowed to even ask him anything, right? And really visualize yourself going to God personally and going, God, I have a personal request. I would like you the creator of all things known and unknown. By the way, you know, Douglas Adams said it very well when he said, you know, the universe is big. Really, really big. Right? It's bigger than anything you could conceive. Your mind cannot truly conceive how big the universe is. I mean, it's... it's massively but we we if you don't know we measure distance by the speed of light not by miles right we a light year is the distance it would take a, a photon of light to travel through space uninterrupted for one year at the speed of light that's how far away it is Right? So we just got a radio signal from somewhere about a half a million light years away. Right? And we're going, wow, what's that? And that's close, man. That's close in this universe. 
And then you take all that and you make that, that's just the galaxy. And now since 1995, since Hubble has come up, we've been able to see, oh, there's more than one or two other galaxies. There's like 250 million more we can see. It's immensely big. And it is so big that there's an event horizon where the light has not had enough time to travel to get to us. So we can't see anything beyond that because it's just too far away. The light has not even reached us at the speed of light yet since the beginning of the universe. And not only is that so much that big, but there are probably multiple universes like that stacked on each other like a deck of cards, right? It is so huge, you don't mean squat. (laughs) That big old universe really doesn't care about whether your Amazon delivery made it today. (laughs) It doesn't, right? And like we're losing our minds over that. I was telling my friend David on the way here, I said, you know, if, this, if, if our existence lasts another 10,000 years, civilizations will look back on this civilization like we look back at the Hittites and things, and they'll go, God, what animals they were. Right? They had no clue about what's going on around them. They were only thinking about material and emotional security at that moment. That's all they thought of. They were animals, primates, primitive. That's us. And yet we still think, like I did when I got here, we're so much smarter than anyone who has lived before in history. Right? Oh, those stupid Hittites. They didn't know anything. We understand it all. I got news for you. There there were lots of civilizations that knew more about spirituality than we do today. Right? And I believe that, that all of this was divinely inspired so that we could have a quick and easy route to get to this God of our understanding, right? So if we're sitting before him and, and we go, I have, a, I have a, a request. I'd like you to remove all the things objectable, objectionable, right? Like the prayer says in the big book. I'd like you to make me the best human being I could be. I'd like you to remove my 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 sin that I can't hit the target and I'd like you to empower me enough that I don't have to cheat, right? And, 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 you know, in my mind, I don't know how your mind works, but in my mind, well, I do because you're cut out of the same bolt of cloth I am, you know, as far as alcoholics go, and human being, human, 100%, just in case, you know, that my God is loving and forgiving, right? And I think that that request would please him in my world, right? Hopefully in yours. It's not bad if, he, if, if, if he's mad at you for approaching him. That's your own business. But in my world, yeah, I ask him and he goes, you know, that's a great request. You know, because, you know, this guy Dave over here just asked me for a boat, right? <laughs> and and, and this, this girl, you know, uh, Margaret over here, she's asking me uh, to hook her up with Bill because he's getting a boat, Right. And it's like God goes, I'm really proud of you that you came and asked me to make you a better person so that you can have relationships with the rest of the humans. And he says, I'll do it, but I can't give it to you 
unless you have a specific attitude, unless your heart and mind are one so that you can receive this change I'm going to give you, which is humility. If you don't have it, I don't care. You just can't, you know, it's like you got six arms. You'll never put on this jacket. It'll, it'll never work. I could, God can give it to you. It's just not going to work, right? Because I've described it many times before. It's like we're holding a bouquet of black umbrellas, right? Very Tom Waitsy there. Bouquet of black umbrellas. And grace is falling on us all the time. The big book calls it grace. Grace, by definition, means it's a, a, a divine gift that you can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. I certainly didn't deserve to be sober before I came in here. But God graced me with enough sobriety to come in here and start doing this. He kept me alive for a year until I went, wow, I, I really need to move. Put one foot in front of the other. You know, he gives, gives in, that, in, in, in that grace, he gives us peace, which is a, a vision of where we belong in God's tapestry. He gives us, he gives us joy, right? Which is just it's nearly indescribable. He has a love, the Greeks called agape, which was a, a constant flow of, of love in and out of you through God, right? And he gives all of that, but it, it can't hit you if you're holding the bouquet of black umbrellas. And the only thing that can blow them away, God goes, they're gone, but if you hold on, you got free will. You can hold on to them all you want. And I could let go of 99 out of 100, and guess what? It only takes one to block all that grace. Maybe if I'm lucky, a drip will hit me now and then of this grace, and I'll go, oh, I got a glimpse, right? That's what the big book says. We get a glimpse of God's kingdom, hopefully. That's not a place, right? It's not like a big castle that, you know, with the God flag on it, God's kingdom, magic kingdom. It means an era. It means a reign, right? It means when God is in charge of everything. For a moment, we get a glimpse of what it would be like if God was in charge of everything instead of us. Right? Just for a moment. Because I'm, I'm constantly trying to get to the state, the state of humility, where I'm not being blocked. Um, I believe that this book lays out direct formulas to achieve humility. That it's not something you just have to go and pray and go, God, give me the humility to be humble enough to ask you to remove these shortcomings. There are actually parts that you put together that this, the 12 and 12 in the big book have explained that will create humility in our lives, right? So we're going to get to that. I've, I've been trying to take a drink for 30 minutes now. No, for 30 years. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> an old timer joke <laughs> alright step seven we're going to talk uh, you know first of all I'm going to define a couple things dilemma we're going to come across a couple dilemmas in here dilemma is uh, on page 45 where it says lack of power that was our dilemma dilemma doesn't mean problem it means a choice between two things right? die to lemma to choose it's a choice between this or that. Very Platonic. The whole book is written like Plato. It is or it isn't. It's all or nothing. You're sober or you're not. You're in or you're out. You're on board or you're not on board. There's no, as I told a, a, a young man last week, there's no balance. 
right? That's psychological stuff. That's great. You learn that in treatment. Good for you. God bless you. There's, I have nothing against psychology. I'm, I'm, I'm carrying around William James's book, right? Father of modern psychology. But balance is for psychological problems. This is a spiritual malady. There's no balance. We're 100% into one. That's it. There's no balance. We're all in. Or we're not, right? Like when I got sober, I, I got down to just beer and marijuana. That's sober, right? I thought that was sober. Because beer is not liquor and marijuana is a flower. So neither of those count. I'm fine. Until I got down to almost no beer and no marijuana and I started freaking out like a full-blown junkie alcoholic. Right? It's, it's wild. And that's when God goes, hey, 99%, 99.9% sober is not sober. Right? So that's why I'm here. So we look at step seven, and it talks about, it says, not only are you going to need humility for this, but that attitude, that way that you link your mind, which is where your soul is, your psyche, we looked at that illustration at one point, links your psyche to your heart, right? They're both, your, your mind to your heart, they're both in your psyche. When you can link those and get that attitude, then it's the fundamental attitude of all 12 steps, Right? Because this is a God-fixing program. It's not a self-help program. So we have to have that. And it says, with, and, and unless we can, without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. Done. Period. Full stop. What? Yeah, if you have none, you're doomed. Right? That's, that's the foundation of all our treatment is humility. Because otherwise, God can't reach you, right? Make sense? We're under 100, 100 black umbrellas of, of defects of character and shortcomings. And yet, it says, unless they, me, you, us, develop much more of this precious quality that may be required for just sobriety, they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live. Not just, not just without it. When it says that, it's not just talking about without a little bit of humility. That it refers back to the last subject that it mentioned, which is a higher degree of humility than is required to be sober. That's what the it refers back to, right? To the last subject mentioned. The last subject mentioned was a, a, a degree of sobriety higher than to just get sober. And without that higher degree they cannot live to much useful purpose. You're useless. <laughs> it's another way of putting it, not quite as nicely. Or in adversity, they cannot, they will not be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. We're used, a little won't, won't do us. This is, this is the whole thing. This is the whole deal. You know that we talked about in the in the second uh, in the in the I believe it was second yeah right in the second step where we talked about second or third the uh, let me look right here because I always get them mixed up I think. Right, we've got a dilemma in two. <laughs> That's good. It starts off with we have a terrible dilemma, but in three. 
is when we got to the door, right? And then we got to the door, and it says, uh, open-mindedness, right? Willingness, willingness will open the door. And willingness comes from open-mindedness. And then once you've done that, it becomes uh, a chicken and an egg situation. Because once you're willing, you become open-minded. And once you're open-minded, you become willing. So it just generates itself, right? And then it says, there's a sign. This is, this is a path. This is the way to a faith that works, right? Well, in this chapter, it tells us what makes faith, right? It's awesome. It tells us that we have to combine uh, humility with open-mindedness, and that makes faith. That is the path. See, we'll never travel that path. We've got the open-mindedness. That's how we got here. But we'll never find the path without humility because we'll be blind to it. We, we're, we're still insane as defined on page 37. We still have a lack of proportion. Big things seem little, little things seem... Lack of perspective. Everything's out of focus. We have the inability to think straight. Ping pong. Right? What? Yeah. What, what was I talking about? No, this is this. Right? Which is <laughs> exactly how we are when we get here and sometimes when we're, when we're sober. Right? So, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But lack of that humility means we are not going to find that faith. Simple as that. If you don't have that combination, you're not going to find it. We think, like most human beings, we, have, we cling to the belief that to satisfy our basic natural instincts or desires is the main object of life. We've been demanding more than our share of security, prestige, and romance. Wait a minute. More than our share. Didn't we read that last week? Yeah, we sure did. It's on page 65. When they, these desires, our instincts, these desires drive us blindly, or we willfully demand that these desires supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures than are possible or do us. There's never enough, right? That's what I said last week. Wow, that's what it says right here. Never was there enough of what we thought we wanted. It is impossible to have enough. And what is it never enough of? It says romance, prestige, and security. Romance, never enough. (laughs) Line them up, right? You're first. Let's go. Romance city, man, never enough. Never enough. And we can carry that right into sobriety. You don't have to drink to have these defects of character. You're at seven. You can live one, two, three, four, five, and six. Not do seven and still be demanding more than you deserve. Romance. All right. What about prestige? We have a joke in my profession. How many magicians does it take... To change a light bulb. At least two. One to do it and one to say, you know, that should be me up there. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's a comedian joke that we just adapted. But that's the way we think. I should be at a higher status than I have worked to get. Right? I automatically deserve to be at a higher level than most of you. I don't know why, but I just feel it in my bones that I'm, 
I, I'm a leader, I guess, and, you know, I should, I should be the one in charge of this stuff. It's, it's like we don't even want those jobs. We just want the title that goes with it, you know? We just want people going, oh, hi, you, you're the person in charge. Great. I remember one time my, my former wife, and, and she's my daughter's, as my daughter pointed out, She's also your baby mama. I go, okay, that's good. Technically, that would be true. And she's still a good friend of mine, but she she was working uh, as a a vendor for um, a company and would go to these uh, uh, convenience stores. And so I was helping her along, and, and at one point they told her, you know, you can hire a helper. And she says, can I just hire my husband because he's already coming along, and then we could increase our income, family income. They go, yeah, sure. So I came with them, with her. Now, because of the gender factor, and it, and it always ticked me off, but it ticked her off more, so I just let her handle it because I met her in the program. She's one of us. And they would automatically think I was the person, the vendor, and she was my helper. And when they found out it was the other way around, they were always, you know, gobsmacked, right, which is stupid. And this one guy comes in. First of all, his first mistake was he called me sport. <laughs> right? Mistake one. Hey, sport, how you doing? <laughs> We're already not getting along. You don't even know it, right? And then he says, so, are you the P-I, what do you call it? P-I-C? They go, P-I-C, what's that? Person in charge. They go, no, she's the PIC. Oh, but I can see, I said, looking around this store, that you are the person really in charge. And then he thought about it. I'm going to let you think about it. (laughs) He was indeed the PRIC. So... The person really in charge. Um, we're, the prestige, no big thing. Romance, no big thing. But let's look at the first one. It says security. In step four, it says we only fear two things. Lack of emotional security and lack of material security. Emotional security and material security. Love and money. Sex and money. Right? Right? Being admired, cared for, loved, petted. If you're a man, treat him like a dog. Pet him and feed him. And we will be loyal and protective forever. Pet him and feed him, right? That's it. That's emotional security to a man. And material security is I need stuff. I need my stuff, man. And the more stuff, oh my God, when I got sober, I started hitting every thrift store in town, you know? I started just filling my place with stuff because I didn't have stuff. Now I'm sober and I got stuffed and I got robbed and I had no more stuff. And I had to go get a new stereo and a new TV and it was great, more stuff. Then it says in a couple pages here, it says the two things that we are really afraid of We have the fear of losing something we already have or the fear of not getting something we want. And so now we have a cross of our fears, right? We have two kinds of fears, two general categories. 
Emotional security, fear of not getting emotional security, fear of not getting material security. And then we have a fear of both of those, of not keeping either of those that I have or not getting either of those that I want. And I would suggest to you that if we looked at it, again, sort of mathematically, sort of in a quantum physical way, right in the middle of that is what the real fear of all of it is. The real, real fear of all of it is pain. We're just afraid of pain. See, because, and, I, and I'll prove it to you. I, I, I can prove it mathematically, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> Only the fans get it, right? <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that if you have no emotional security, that's painful. If I feel nobody loves me, I'm hurting. It doesn't even matter whether you love me or not. In fact, I can manufacture it faster than you can love me. Right? Because you will call me and go, Doc, where have you been? I'm home. Well, look, we're having, a bunch of us are going to dinner. Why don't we come by and pick you up? No, that's okay. I'm just feeling lonely. So I'm just going to stay home. Dude, come with us. We love you. No. I'm good, I'm good. You know, right? We treat loneliness with isolation. We're insane, right? But that hurts, and sometimes we love that pain. Just like heroin, man. Pain is like heroin. Anger, self-pity, pain, that's a speedball of emotions right there, man. You mix that stuff up, self-pity, oh, man. Do a little self-pity and then of anger, and I'm like, oh, oh, it's awesome, man. I'm pissed off and crying at the same time. That, we live for that stuff, man, and yet we fear it. Now, what about the material stuff? If I lack, if I get down to zero stuff, then I'm homeless, Right? Then I'm living on a sidewalk. That is physically painful. The pain matches what I'm afraid of losing or not getting, right? My emotional, my, my emotional security protects me from emotional pain. My material security protects me from material pain. But that's not true. That's, that's an illusion. That's like Plato's cave, like we talked about. It's absolutely wrong, Right? But it says here, we fled, we ran. We ran from pain as if it were a plague. Here it is on page 74 in the 12 and 12. Until now, our lives have been largely devoted, devoted to running from pain and problems. Not that we just do it. That's our main purpose in life is to avoid pain. Right? The pain of... I'll tell you what was really big in the, in the 90s was the pain of shame. You know? Oh, I, can, I, need, I need therapy to deal with my shame. No, I don't. I need the seventh step. Right? I need to be humble. That will, that will take care of a lot of my emotional problems. All right. So what's going to happen? It just it goes on and on. You have to read this, right? It goes on and on about how how 
we cannot get, we, 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 we will not be truly free until we get humility. We will not be truly sober. We cannot have honesty, tolerance, true love of man and God without this basic ingredient of humility. Then it says, well, 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 what is humility, actually? I can tell you this also. If you don't have, on page 76, you don't have humility, our character defects based upon short-sighted or unworthy desires are the obstacles that block our path. Right? Let me say it again. Our defects of character are the obstacles that block our path. These defective characteristics, these shortcomings, are based upon short-sighted or unworthy desires. And where do those come from? Those come from the belief that I'm still number one in this setup. Me, others, and God. Five was supposed to move God to the front. God, me, and others. Twelve, it'll be God, others, and me. Right? I have to get humble. How do I get humble? Here's the magic ingredient. It says early on in the first couple chapters, it talks about if you have willingness and combine it with uh, honesty, you almost have humility. Right? You have to be willing to go to any lengths. Really willing. There's a lot of different spiritual sayings. And a, a great one is, 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 a, is a Jesus saying, pick up your cross and deny yourself daily. Right? Pick up your cross means like suffer. Daily. Deny yourself a little bit. Pick up your shovel and dig. Pick up your axe and chop. Pick up your bucket and get some water. Deny yourself and do the right thing a little bit every day, right? A little bit every day. We have, that's willingness and then honesty. When I look in the mirror, what do I see? Do I see a guy chasing his tail who wants the boat, who wants the relationship, who if I just made more money, all my other problems would go away. If I just got rid of that nasty so-and-so that sits at the desk next to me, do they still have cubicles in the world? Right? Do they still have that? Is that still out there? Right? Because they used to. They used to have, what was that cartoon? Dilbert? Delbert? Dogbert? There was an office cartoon that was all about cubicles. With Delbert? If I could just get rid of, oh, I know. I know. The, the guy from uh, uh, Workspace. Right? What is that? Office space. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Good, yeah. I'm going to have to have you come in on Saturday. Yeah, that'd be great. Right? If I could just get rid of that armhole, my life would be fine. If I get rid of my girlfriend, if I could get rid of, keep her and get rid of her kid. If I could get whatever it is. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. There are men sitting there going, I never had that thought in my life. Never. <laughs> Me and what's his name are like this, man. We're close. 
That's all wrong. It's all wrong. There, you, have to t- you have to look honestly in the mirror and go, here's what I'm trying to do. What is my real purpose in life? Why am I here? Why am I alive? Why did I survive getting high and getting drunk all those years? Because God grabbed me, pulled me in here, and told me to do what's on page 77 of the big book. That your real purpose is to be best fitted to be of maximum service to God and to those about you. It's your real purpose in life. The rest of it, icing on the cake. It doesn't mean anything. It says here, the real reason that God will give you a boat is because you need a boat to do the work he wants you to do. If you need a boat, you'll get a boat. If you don't, he'll put you to work on a boat. Right? <laughs> He will do whatever you need. He will give you... Listen, there is no reason you shouldn't drive a top-of-the-line car, brand new, if, for instance, this isn't the only one, this is just an example, if you're taking a bunch of people to meetings and taking them home. If you're using your car all the time for AA stuff, I think God would go, you know, that piece of junk, it's done. I want you to have a big new car. That's the kind of faith we need, right? That's a, we know that that works because we're sober. That's a much bigger miracle than God dropping a car in my lap. I had God drop a brand new uh, Jaguar S-Type in my lap. I'm, I'm not kidding. He just gave it to me. He basically gave me an opportunity and gave me the money and put them together, and I had the car. It was like, wow. It was awesome. God does that all the time in my life. You know, I, I, he did something almost as good Monday, right? But it was, it was someone in need he dropped in my life. And I had exactly what they needed. And it, 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 it changed their life right then, and I saw it happen. I was like, God, that is cooler than a car right there. I had to call everybody I know, go, man, God is awesome. So it tells us, Right here on uh, page 72 in the 12 and 12, what that third ingredient for humility is. It says this, this lack of anchorage to any permanent values, right? Moralists. This blindness to the true purpose of our lives, and I've told you so there's no turning back now. Whether you've read the book or not, I told you, so you can't claim ignorance. You know why you're here, and you can't not do it now. You're screwed. Blindness to the true purpose of our lives, it produced another bad result, this lack of humility. For just so long, it's a, it, this is a formula, for just so long, for this amount, as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength, if I just do this, everything else will work out. Strength and intelligence, it says. Because I know you're all, you know, super intelligent, like me. That's why we're here. For just that long was a working faith, which is that path, right? Faith in a higher power impossible. Half measures avail us nothing. 99% measures avail us impossible. Impossible. Not you're going to have a tough time. It is impossible. I got I to wrap it up. So much in this chapter. I'm going to leave this 
Oh, quickly, the, the third ingredient is on page 72. I won't make you read it. I'll tell you what it is, right? We could actually have earnest religious beliefs which remain barren because we were still trying to play God ourselves. As long as we place self-reliance first, a genuine reliance upon a higher power was out of the question. That basic ingredient, this is a hidden sentence, man, that basic ingredient of all humility, which proves right there that humility is made of ingredients, right? The first two is willingness and honesty. A desire to seek and do God's will was missing. That's the third ingredient to humility. A desire to seek and do his will. Not just do it, not just do the right thing, but a desire to go seek and do it. You know, we've been running from pain, then we looked at AA. We looked at people around. We listened everywhere. We saw failure and misery transformed by humility. It's the philosopher's stone, man. Humility is what changes lead to gold. Everywhere we saw failure and misery transformed by humility into priceless assets. This is page 75 in the 12 and 12. You can also find that on page 124 in the big book, our dark past. In God's hands becomes our most precious possession. We heard story after story of how humility had brought strength out of weakness. In every case, pain that we ran from like a zombie apocalypse had been the price of admission into a new life. I want a new life. I'm tired of this. Even if I'm sober one year, 10 years, 20 years, and I'm not happy, I'm not joyful, I'm not free, I'm miserable, I'm still playing whack-a-mole with my life. If I just get this in the right place, or, you know, it's tetra my whole life. Right? If If I'm still living like that, I hate it. I need a new life. Well, how do I get into this place? There's a tent. New life for Doc. Okay, what's the admission? Pain. Uh, I'll try something else. But then here, but I have this book, see? This book says, in every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life. But this admission price had purchased more than we expected. It purchases more than just the new life, an admission to a new life. It brought a measure of humility. Pain brings humility. Pain is the heat that you apply to those three things, those three qualities I told you about. Willingness, honesty, and a desire to seek and do God's will. Pain brings those together and changes your life into gold, into a priceless asset, right? So what happens is when we get that... Pain, it purchased more, it brought a a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. The humility heals the pain. We began to fear pain less and desire humility more. This whole chapter has so much to say. Page 58 says, To those who have made progress in AA, humility amounts to a clear recognition of exactly what and who we really are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. 
And then Bill Wilson said this. It also says, if that degree of humility could enable us to find the grace, right? The umbrellas are gone. The grace by which such a deadly obsession, such as alcohol and drugs, could be banished, then there must be hope of the same result respecting any other problem we could possibly have. This is on Bill Wilson's desk. It was a plaque, and it reads, Humility is perpetual quietness of heart. It is to have no trouble. It is never to be fretted or vexed, irritable or sore. To wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. And when I am blamed or despised, it is to have a blessed home in myself where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and about is seeming trouble. That's why we want humility in our lives. Hope to see you next week. Doc Alcoholic. <laughs> and now, I'm taking, and I'm taking my cookies. All right. Let's thank the speaker one more time. <laughs> the secretary to come up and do the secretary's report. Thank you, Megan. All right. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition that states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I have asked David to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as the uh, recovered rather than the recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Forty style uh, big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some uh, relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back, back to his uh, loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Could I please have a show of hands of uh, recovered alcoholics? 
And anybody who needs a sponsor, could you please raise your hand? Okay, so could we um, get with this one? Uh, what's your name? Brandy. Brandy, after the meeting, and try to get her back to God. Um, we have some announcements. The Broward County Intergroup, um, Broward County, Florida, the office hours, ways to contact them if you want to get involved in doing some service. Um, the Broward County Institutions Committee. Um, business meetings are the second Saturday of the month at the 12 Step House, um, and there's a list of all the meetings. Save the date for the 57th Annual Intergroup Appreciation Banquet. That is April 25th. Um, tickets are, information about tickets and how to get them are all up there. And then the Spring Fling Chili Cook-Off and Dinner. Um, that is Saturday, March 7th at the NSU Davy campus. Um, dinner's at 5.30, karaoke, speaker, it's a fun night. And then um, to pre-register and book your room for Fikipaw, um, there's the information. It's June 5th through 7th. And then that's our meeting, Alcoholics and God, Thursday night. Um, Doc, he'll be with us again next week. <laughs> um, and also, please join us Monday nights for our Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30. Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, and uh, little, little uh, red book and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Um, we found a phone in the women's restroom, so if anybody lost a phone, um, I have it. Just come see me. Um, and we also ask that you smoke 75 feet away from the building, down at the end where there are smoke buckets. That includes vaping as well. And we um, hope to see you all next week. I'd like to invite everyone to the Monday Night Big Book Study, which you already read. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.
trying on the rain So stop your sighing baby And be happy again Yes and keep on smiling Keep on smiling baby And I hope
Michael Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Thank you. 
the lake Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on ten years old, that song is God bless I love you, Mike Chase Bye
tape. Got one man that just won't send me. 